Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Again, you are listening to the Let's Talk Hemp podcast. I am your host, Morris Beagle. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show that never ends. We are now halfway through January, celebrating Martin Luther King this week. Free at last, free at last. And only if that was truly the case. One thing we know for sure that isn't free is the cannabis plant and the hemp plant. It's still wrapped up in prohibition, and we have a long way to go before it's truly free. For those of you who subscribe to our weekly Let's Talk Hemp newsletter, you probably saw the recent article we put out regarding the FDA stating they are going to evaluate a path for regulation of CBD and dietary supplements and as a food and beverage additive. While this sounds encouraging, there is plenty of skepticism to go around as the FDA and their current director, Janet Woodcock, are not fans of cannabis and cannabinoids whatsoever, and they continue to put out false and misleading information when it comes to the safety of consumable CBD. Unfortunately, the FDA and the CDC have lost a ton of credibility after the last three years of how they handled and messaged regarding the pandemic, vaccines, other COVID treatments, and so on. Honestly, it's amazing how any of these folks still have a job. But here we are, land of the free, home of the brave, and the good old USA. All righty, I'm done with my little soapbox on the FDA for now, and we will get into this week's show, which is episode six of the Tie Tapes, volume one, that was recorded at the Asia International Hemp Expo and the second annual Environmental Hemp Forum that took place in Bangkok, Thailand at the end of November and the beginning of December. This episode brings us hemp pioneer and a good friend of mine, Paul Benham, from the land down under, founder of Hemp Foods Australia, Elixinol Wellness, and the Hemp Plastic Company. The man has literally done more with this plant than just about anyone else, and he still seems to have his sanity. So that's saying something. And with that, let's get to the conversation with Paul. So sitting here at Cincy Villa in Thailand with my good friend Paul Benham. How are you doing today? Jolly good. It's a beautiful morning with great people around and the weather is fine. The food is sweet. Life is good. It certainly could be worse, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Been quite a trip these last several days, hasn't it? These last several days, weeks, months, years, lifetimes. Yeah, it has been. Uh, very exciting to be here in Thailand right now, at uh, this historical time. What did you think of the first annual Asia International Hemp Expo? The first expo, Asia International Hemp Expo, uh, the first expo in Thailand, um, has been a wonderful success. I've really enjoyed seeing uh, the quality of people involved, companies involved, governments involved, and uh, the international, I guess, heart-based community of hempsters that have been here to support um, a growth in a country that not so long ago demonized this plant in so many ways, who have made the quickest change to support that I've seen anywhere on this planet. 
um, it really has gone from black to white um, and it's a very exciting time to be here. And the expo was fantastic, supported by countries from all around the world uh, with a particular slant on support from Japan so the, the Thai um, hemp community and the Japanese hemp community having some great stalls, stands, displays, interactions, interactive, uh, you know, focusing on the indigenous cultures of both of those countries were being shared um, alongside the modern uh, cannabinoid companies and uh, supporting industries um, with the academia, the world of academia uh, supporting research uh, to take the hemp industry even further forward. Yeah, I would uh, agree with all of that. It's been a, a big, broad palette of support from around the world, and as you said, government and academia. It's cool to see the government, um, as supportive as it is, out of the box here. Uh, I, I hope it stays that way, mm -hmm. because if it does, then they're going to have an advantage over everybody else here in, in Asia and potentially around the world. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. You know, I, I work with governments in numerous countries and working with the Thai government, it's very, has a very clear entrepreneurial spirit within the government even, um, even though, you know, it, it, it's, it's you know, strictly research and science, um, but the people behind it are very passionate about this plant and its possibilities and actually having something new yet based on, on old um, I, I really see the support uh, particularly from the Ministry of Health the Department of Science um, and, and Food and Drug Administration here um, they are they're, they're the ministers and their representatives have all been very keen to see what they can do how they can learn from others um, and they don't seem to have just started this either. I mean, they're quite far advanced in some of their studies. So they've obviously been doing it before it was, you know, fully legalized. I guess internally, the government knew this was happening um, and had, had prepared, you know, for some background to really get ahead. Um, and the public companies in Thailand working, you know, with government really shows me that they're very much up for commercializing and taking full advantage to ensure that they're the number one Asian country in the world. So it's a very exciting time for Thai people. Um, and I say that it's, it's exciting time for everyone else to watch that, of course. But it's more watching than getting involved for international people um, because Thai, you know, Thai commercial law and um, makes it, you know, the, the, the legislation, we'll say, is focused to support the nation of Thailand, the, the kingdom, I should say, of Thailand. Um, and that's great for Thai people, um, and I really respect that. Um, but being an international person, I'm like, oh, how can I help? How can I get involved? And I guess we share knowledge, and, and then we just watch and see what they do with it, really. There's not that many international companies coming in and really taking a big space in Thailand because it, the whole setup has been designed for Thai companies to take the leading space, which is, I think, how it should be. I completely agree where this plant should be localized 
so it can benefit the, the local domestic community, mm -hmm. just as it should in the United States or mm -hmm. in Mexico or Canada mm -hmm. or any number of countries in Europe or wherever, mm -hmm. first dibs should go to the people of the country. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. glad that they've set it up this way. And it was awesome to come over here and share the stage with so many people, yourself included, mm -hmm. and, and see the international community just step up and support what they're trying to do here and offer knowledge and experience and and I'm going to be excited to come back here again and just watch how it develops and hopefully maybe we can take some cues in the United States because we've got our own set of massive problems when it comes to the government and regulatory issues. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, as I said, Thailand is extremely supportive from a government perspective and what I've seen in the U.S., um, it's quite the opposite extreme, nearly. Um, there is some, obviously some support I see recently from the, the you know, Department of Agriculture in the U.S. supporting hemp farming, um, but the size and scale of that support is minuscule in percentage terms in comparison to how they're, they're doing it here in Asia. So it seems that you know they're really saying, that we want to do this, and we're going to invest our time and money and, and, and support in, in getting us into a leadership position and in um, you know less than around six months since they've really made changes in legislation here we've had this first hemp expo and just going around and seeing the quality of companies that have come in such a short period of time is it's phenomenal um, and I've met some of the owners and, and people behind that now and um, I don't think they're going away I think um, you know they're already doing millions in revenue within the first six months and um, they have very strong plans, um, great product innovation, um, great organization, excellent branding, probably the best branding and marketing I've seen um, outside of California um, in the world. So they really are showing a model that um, I guess as being in hemp for nearly three decades, I've always hoped that someone would do. And, had ne never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined decades ago that Thailand would be the place to actually implement um, what seems like a pretty ideal model, um, allowing everything to do with the plant, really, in a commercial form. Yeah, again, I agree completely. As someone who produces expos and coming in here and seeing how they set this up for the first time and like you said the quality of companies the branding it's like holy smokes you know having produced NOCO and Southern Hemp Expo where we've got solid professional well-branded companies just the scale of what they've done for their first time out of the box it's like it's the real deal very yep. impressive indeed so good on Thailand and good on the organizers Leading into the expo, there was some challenges from an organizational standpoint, which there always are, and mm -hmm. I can uh, mm -hmm. attest to that because you look under the hood and it's like, wow, those wires are all over the place. But mm -hmm. when it comes to showtime, they pulled it off, and the forum was great, and hats off to Takashi for organizing the whole, what is it? The, the forum, yes. The environmental... The, the second annual, I think, Asian um, Environmental Hemp Forum. Um, I think that's what they've, they've called the, 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 the hemp section of this show. Um, the first being uh, the show that was instigated in Kyoto, Japan, a number of years ago, um, for which the um, first 
first lady appeared at the show, um, which was also, you know, a global first for someone of such high stature to come to an you know, initial expo. I remember meeting Miss um, Abe, first lady of Japan, and, and her support, um, which uh, sadly didn't last, actually, um, and it wasn't, I think it's more political um, in Japan, and, and I think they went a bit too fast. Japan is quite, a, you know, prefers to move in slow, steady, strong steps. Um, where Thailand is much more open to very fast, quick moving. So having a first lady at the first expo in Japan was quite a big thing at the time. Um, and I think, you know, the industry is moving forward in Japan, um, but it's taken many years to make some small steps. And I think there's a, a lot more to go in Japan, where Thailand has simply leapfrogged everything that's happened in Japan, everything every country has ever done, to be honest. <laughs> Um, it is leapfrogged, you know, and actually done what I had hoped most governments to do, which is to take note of what's happening in different countries of the world, take the best pieces, and implement them in one go. It's quite simple. Learn from history lessons globally, not just from your own country's lessons, because this is pioneering, um, pioneering for most governments. Um, governments don't like to be pioneers because change is risk. Um, but that's what has to be done to make significant change and there's no doubt that the world needs significant change right now we can't just sit around and accept the status quo because it's very clearly, at least from my eyes it doesn't seem to be working um, and then if we don't take make big changes then we're just going to expect the same results um, so Thailand is making those big changes um, it seems to be working on so many levels um, within the country and also attracting, um, you know, post-COVID, which is where we, we are right now, really, um, a lot of international travelers and visitors and tourists, you know, looking to see, you know, what, what they can do in Thailand now um, in, a, in a free hemp society, a free cannabis society, um, which is basically what, what it is here now. Um, there are, of course, some guidelines, legislation and recommendations and there are some boundaries, it's not completely free, uh, but they're very sensible and very open boundaries right now. Um, so I really hope that that will stay, um, you know, despite, you know, some people within government are complaining and looking to appeal these decisions. Um, but I don't think Thailand will ever go back because ultimately they are an entrepreneurial country. Uh, and, and it is a kingdom, it's, so it's run by, you know, it's, it, everyone follows the king. Um, and his role here and the king is very much um, supportive of the indigenous cultures of Thailand um, and, and, and the farming tribes of Thailand so having you know uh, basically a, a leader at the top that is ensuring that those cult the culture and the farming has been supported um, has really been beneficial and a great foundation um, which allows the other government organizations to to easily flow into that um, with the support that we see today. Yeah. Do you think that Thailand's kind of aggressive nature and what they've done here, do you think that that will spread to other countries in Asia? Or do you think that they're just going to sit back and kind of let Thailand take the lead and see how it goes? <laughs> Uh, I think um, a lot of countries in, in Asia, particularly Southeast Asia, are watching this. 
uh, what's happening here in Thailand very closely. Um, my understanding, and I haven't been to these countries yet, but Cambodia and Vietnam are very close, um, closely following this, as in they're closely behind, moving forward right now. Um, so there are industries setting up in both um, Cambodia and Vietnam. Um, Laos um, expects to have some change um, next year, and we're in December of this year. <coughs> so early next year, we will expect to see some change in Laos. Um, and then there's really only, you know, then we have Myanmar, which at the moment kind of in a military dictatorship is not the best place to do anything right now. Um, and then we have the other extreme, well, we have, then we have Singapore, Malaysia and Indonesia. Um, Singapore being probably the cleanest, straightest, for better want of a better word, country in the world. Uh, Singapore um, is unlikely to change, I would say, or follow, but we'll, we'll have little choice, I would say, if, after you know, all the other Asian, Southeast Asian countries follow. Um, Malaysia, I hear, is, is moving forward. I've met a number of uh, delegates from Malaysia. I think there's more, more than 10 anyway um, at this show here in Thailand. Um, and then the biggest one um, that is yet to move um, with population of hundreds of millions of people is, of course, Indonesia. Um, and um, that, that, you know, a bigger, a bigger monster takes a bit, a bit slower. A bigger country, I should say. It takes a bit slower um, to, to happen um, and, and to change. But that is also happening slowly. And we have to remember that these Southeast Asian cultures um, have had very... Um, very ingrained in the entire global drug laws um, because particularly because of America's input in these places so there's some phenomenal books um, about in, in Southeast Asia uh, about the drug wars in Southeast Asia particularly in the Golden Triangle area um, and if you look into that history you know that was very much controlled by American input um, in, into you know, demonizing these drugs um, very strongly in Southeast Asia where they often attracted the death penalty and still do in some places here you know, I, I forgot to mention the Philippines earlier of course I don't want to miss Philippines out but you know, again one of those places that very strictly against the use of any drugs and I use the word drugs in a, in a, in a common way um, however I mean, I guess from a science perspective, everything is a drug. Um, tea is a drug. Sugar is a drug. Um, fruits, um, you know, are, are, you know, can be called medicine. So food can be called medicine. So there's, um, but but I'm talking obviously about the psychoactive drugs generally, um, and their plants and their derivatives, um, of course, of which hemp got caught up in the cannabis side of that. Um, so. You know, we have a lot of that strong history um, and possibly another generation um, of politicians to move through before that is truly history and not just experience and history, historical experience. And I think that is often what it takes, sadly, um, for generations to, to move on. Um, so right now that's not the case because um, this current government has experienced both now, both sides of the, of the table. And from what I can see... Everyone seems very happy. There, I've never seen um, so many hemp or cannabis shops um, pop up so quickly 
anywhere in the world, full stop. You know, it beats anything I ever saw in the US in terms of the amount of stores in the short, in the period of time that I've seen it. Um, and everyone seems very happy. People from all different walks of business and culture here um, seem to be getting involved um, and incorporating it into their existing industries as well. So it seems that change is possible. Uh, well, it's not it seems, it, it is. It's, it's being shown here as a living, breathing example. So very exciting times. Completely agree. Well, anything else you'd like to add before uh, we kind of move on to the rest of the day? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling very positive about you know the times ahead since I've been here, which is less than a week now. I've already signed six MOUs, about to sign another one. I'm looking to take uh, the hemp plastic company um, into Asia because Asia is obviously, it was actually where I originally um, discovered my personal passion for uh, substituting fossil fuel based plastics for something plant based. Um, so before I even discovered that hemp plastics was possible. And so it's it feels kind of like a full circle now where I feel so honored to have the opportunity to deal with industries um, in Asia who uh, seem to be taking it very seriously, who really, really believe that plant-based plastics are the way forward, Um, which is quite different culturally here than it is in Europe or America. So a Europe, you know, carbon, carbon sequestration is really big. In America, people are much more aware of the, you know, the environmental challenges of fossil fuels. Um, um, but in Thailand, it's fully ingrained everywhere, the use of fossil fuel plastics. Um, so actually have, knowing that people are interested enough to at least sign MOUs, and we'll see where it goes, of course, you know, business takes time, um, gives me positive hope for the week ahead, the months ahead, and the years ahead. And I look forward to seeing him grow well thank you for your time and thanks for all you do paul food side cannabinoid side fiber and plastics uh truly a pioneer and appreciate you and i'm honored to call you a friend thank you dear friend morris all right i'll talk soon Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.